Thank you, Pastor Stewart. Good morning again, church. It's a privilege and an honor to gather with you this morning. I'm feeling I'm going to be fiddling with this quite a bit as my head is much different from Pastor Tim's and Pastor Aaron's. We'll see how this goes. We gather again to be reminded of and to celebrate the resurrection, the life, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And while that is the reason why we gather, I do think it would be inappropriate to be uh, dismissive and to neglect one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us, aside from the grace extended to us from uh, his son, Jesus. And that would be mothers. So happy Mother's Day again. Uh, we are so grateful for all of the moms here at Big Woods, as many of you are serving in various capacities, many of you are serving in multiple capacities, uh, and what, just what a wonderful example uh, you have been to so many others, a wonderful picture of godly motherhood. This morning we will be taking a short break from Genesis in order to talk about uh, some characteristics uh, of godly mothers. Now, before we dig into the word this morning, I feel it necessary to, to preface this message with a bit of a warning, one that I find quite obvious, uh, but n uh, necessary nonetheless. I am not a mother. I, I am not even a parent, and I have no experience in these things. That is not how God has made me, but even in that, I, I want you to know that, that God's word remains true, and that he is going to give me the right words to say. So mothers, please do not take anything from this message that would be suggestive in how to mother, in how to parent. I am the least qualified person here to be giving you this advice, so please do not take anything away from that. God has placed many godly women in my life, especially my own mother, that I can look to to observe traits of a godly mother and observe God's love through them. As someone who is not a mother, I do not necessarily look to apply these traits to my life. They are beneficial for me as well as for you, regardless of where you are. But I realize that, that if these are characteristics of godly mothers, and I'm observing them in the lives of others, I should, I, I should be encouraging others in them. Again, I'm grateful that my own mom has given me a godly example of motherhood, just as even watching many of you moms here have. So men and others who do not have children in this season of life, do not tune me out because you're not a mom. But let me encourage you, think through these characteristics. How can you exhibit them? How can you encourage your wife or another woman in the church? I also recognize that Mother's Day is a hard day for many people, both men and women. Many have lost their own mothers, and while we do grieve with you, I hope that this message may bring joy in remembering the good characteristics of your mom. Some of you wish to be mothers and have been praying for years that God would give you the blessing of a child. And we pray alongside of you as well in ancient, anxious expectation. Others of you have been given the terrible news that you will be unable to have children of your own. And we grieve alongside of you in this. I hope for you that this message may bring a joyful reminder that while, yes, children are a great blessing, there is a greater blessing of living a life in obedience to God. This, this is a very hard earthly substitute. I, I do not take anything away from that. But the heavenly blessing that will one day come is a joyous one. Some of you may have lost a children or even multiple children. 
before ever getting to see their precious faces. This is a great loss. And, and for these babies, we grieve deeply alongside of you. I think of a, a friend and campus ministry colleague of mine who just this year finally gave birth to a healthy and beautiful baby boy after losing six children to miscarriage. But praise God for the one who is promised. This is not an easy path to walk by any means. And I hope that for you, this message may bring hope that just as David comments on the loss of a child, that I shall go to him, but he will not return to me, we hope that we too will one day dwell in the house of the Lord with these little ones. Regardless of where you may find yourself this morning, whether it is grieving, whether it is celebrating, I want you to know that while physical parenting is a blessing, is a great blessing, there is yet a greater blessing of spiritual parenting, discipleship for the glory of God. So regardless of who you are and what season of life you are in, there is something in this message for you. I must be honest, I'm a little bit more nervous to preach than usual this morning. Having no experience in motherhood, I feel unqualified. Being male, I feel disconnected from the struggles that mothers face. Being able to go and see my mother, I feel no sense of loss that many of you have experienced. In my opinion, Mother's Day is arguably one of the hardest messages to preach. But God is gracious and merciful, and from him alone will the right words come. My wife, Michaela, reminded me even before I came up here that I only need to, need to remember three things. I'm not a mom, I'm not a parent, and Jesus is Lord. Amen. So thank you for your encouragement as God speaks through you, my dear. Mother's Day is a time to recognize those who have cared for us if we have all been born of a mother. It is a time to celebrate the gift of motherhood that God has given to us, but it's also a time to encourage, to come alongside those who are struggling in this season, whatever the reason may be. And so because of this, I want us to look at a few character traits of some women in the Bible. I want us to observe some qualities of biblical motherhood, but ultimately I want us to focus on the need for Jesus that women in the Bible express, to which we can all relate. So before we dive in together, let us go to the Lord in prayer, as I am desperate for his help in preaching this morning. God, we do thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to gather. We thank you for the gift of mothers, even. Father, through your word this morning, I, I pray that you would speak through us, that you would speak through me, that the words that I say would not only be pleasing to you, but they would be of you. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us your heart through this text, that you would give us a picture of not only godly mothers, but also of what it means to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. Father, give me the words to say this morning. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I was preparing to preach, there was a phrase that kept running through my head. Uh, as we look this morning at two mothers in particular, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder. This phrase is one that I have heard uh, Matt McDermott say on numerous occasions, and for the longest time I actually thought that he came up with it, as eloquent as it is. And only to find out recently that this is actually from the great evangelist Billy Graham. But this phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
is one that has defined to a great degree uh, the life of a Christian. For all who would come to God, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. For any who would seek to lord power, position, resources, or stature over another, they can't because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I think this phrase can accurately sum up the points that I am attempting to make this morning. And as we look at these characteristics of godly mothers, we will arrive quite specifically at the feet of Jesus. By looking at the narrative of Matthew's gospel account of the crucifixion, and and here will we see that the ground is indeed level at the foot of the cross. Along this journey, we're going to find some qualities here and there that we want to examine, that we want to really dig into. Qualities that mothers show throughout their lives in various ways. Again, to be clear, I know that this is a fine line that I am walking, so I want to be very, very, very clear in this. I am in no way advocating for a particular method of motherhood, nor do I wish to elevate one trait over another. My goal in this is simply to observe in the scriptures two women who we would classify as godly mothers. My goal in this is to simply observe them and and dig into these traits, saying, how can I apply them? What do I need to do in this? That being said, mothers, you know that just as your relationship with your child changes over time, so do the traits that are most evident in you. This is a good and necessary thing. In the real-life discipleship class, we've been talking a lot about how we interact with spiritual infants versus spiritual young adults versus children versus parents, and understanding that we're going to interact with them differently because they are at different stages of their spiritual growth. A newborn requires constant care and attention, while a three-year-old, while yes, requiring supervision, doesn't need to be fed from a bottle and burped. We tend to exhibit different traits, or maybe a better way of putting this is that we exhibit the same traits with different emphases through different stages of life. The same is true with these two women in the Bible. Mary and Salome do not represent two women that are two different characteristics. They don't represent a good way and a bad way of mothering. Rather, they simply represent two different approaches at two different stages. One sees her newborn son as a gift. Thus, every breath that they share is a gift of God worthy of praise. The other sees her her sons as men seeking righteousness and desires good things for them. And so she asks Jesus, she asks God, per his word in Matthew chapter 7, for these good things. We are looking at different stages of motherhood for these two women to see some characteristics that godly mothers possess. So, let us get into the word this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to first look at uh, some characteristics and some traits that come from Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, why are we turning to the Christmas narrative when it's the middle of May? promise I'm not one of those people that's like Christmas everything all year round. I only listen to Christmas music in December. If I'm putting up decorations, it's not until after Thanksgiving. We're not looking at the Christmas narrative here. We are looking at what comes actually right before as Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And we see that she is going to possess one of the characteristics I want us to look at. Verses 46 through 56 is where we will begin this morning in Luke chapter 1. 
if you would follow along as I read the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the helpless estate and the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and and holy is his name. For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The first trait that I want us to observe this morning is that a godly mother praises God. A godly mother praises God. In verses 46 through 47, we see a reference here to to Psalm 34, verse 3. Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name forever. My soul magnifies the Lord, we see in verse 46. Even looking at verse 103, or chapter 103, excuse me, of the Psalms in verse 1, Mary's whole being is caught up in praising the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Mary praises God by giving thanks to him for the blessing of a child. We see in verses 48 through 49, she has reason to rejoice and to praise God because he has done a thing for her in giving her a child. Notice the reference even to to Psalm 172, verses 3 through 5, that behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. But not just in in this season, not just in this specific instance, but Mary goes on to talk about the the history of Israel, what God has done for them, how he has blessed them. She lists the things that God has done for his people throughout generations, recognizing reasons outside of her own personal blessing that she can give thanks, that she can praise. Her instinct even is to go to her relatives and to praise God for the blessing of a child. Think about the the command even from Romans 12 that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. This is a good thing worthy of praise, and we want to celebrate alongside one another. Even even today, we rejoice together because of how many new babies have come into our body, or are coming into our body even. But I want you to understand, there's a level of preparation that Mary had to have had here. Now, obviously, nothing can prepare you to to be told that you're going to bear a son with no male interaction. I'll put it that way. But, But Mary would have had to have been living righteously. Not perfect, not by her own righteous. She, she was still human. She was still a sinner. But, but she would have had to have been pursuing godliness in her life. This blessing would not have happened to someone who is living in repetitive, unrepentant sin. Or to someone who is not seeking God. 
Now, to be clear, if you are living a godly life, if you are pursuing righteousness and repenting of sin, that does not mean that you are going to bear a child by the Holy Spirit, right? That, that's not going to be the case. However, there is a conclusion that we can draw from this. We are much more likely to receive good gifts from God if we are pursuing him, if we're pursuing holiness rather than worldliness. Flip over with me to Luke chapter 2. In verses 8 through 20, I just want to read a very small portion of this. We see the narrative where the, 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 the shepherds go to Bethlehem. They go and they find the baby. Picking up in verse 16 here, it says, When they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Mary treasures her baby boy. She treasures the gift that he is. Barnes puts it this way, Mary kept all these things, all that happened and all that was said respecting her child. She remembered what the angel had said to her, what had happened to Elizabeth and to the shepherds, all the extraordinary circumstances which had attended the birth of her son. Here's a delicate and beautiful expression of the feelings of a mother. A mother forgets none of those things which occur respecting her child. Everything they do or suffer, everything that is said of them is stored up in her mind. She often thinks of these things and anxiously seeks what they might indicate respecting the future character and welfare of her child. She's been told by an angel that she will conceive and bear a son, that he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and as the shepherds come and they, they see the child laying there wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they, they give praise to God and she ponders these things. She stores them up in her heart. As the wise men come and they bring gifts, she, she sees this and she stores it up in her heart. Here in Mary's internal processing, we see a second trait here, that Mary has joy. Now let's look at Salome. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. If you recall that Matthew and Luke are two of the three synoptic Gospels, meaning that when Matthew, Mark, and Luke all wrote their Gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, you'll notice a lot of similarities between them while John wrote a separate account. I'll even point out there is some overlap here in this passage that we will look at between Matthew and Mark. There are some differences, yes, because they were written by two different authors. However, we have the consistency of the same story and the same message and the same meaning here. I want to look at verses uh, 20 through 28 is the passage. I think I might just read the first few here. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And Jesus said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. This is a bold request, which brings us to our third trait of boldness. 
The, the name Salome actually comes from uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 40, as well as Mark chapter 16, verse 1, as we see that, that, that she was there with Jesus at, at the end. She was there with Mary. It's actually mentioned in John chapter 19, verse 25. There's a possibility that she's even the sister of Mary, that, that being the aunt to Jesus. In referencing a statement that Jesus makes here in Matthew 19, verse 28, you who have followed me who will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Her request is not just out of the blue, right? Because this is a very bold request. Can, can my two sons sit at the two most important, most honorable seats in all of heaven? That's a very bold request, and it isn't coming out of the blue. It's in reference to what Jesus had just taught. She recognizes, though, the authority of Jesus. She seeks good things for her son, a place of honor amongst the twelve. But we see that even though she asked boldly, she did not know for what she was asking. Even in Jesus' reply in verse 22, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? It's quite likely that Salome, along with a lot of the other women who are with Jesus at this time, traveled with him throughout the life of his ministry. And, And so being there Uh, at the Sermon on the Mountain shortly after as Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who finds or the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you if if his son asks him for bread will it be given stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Hearing these words and hearing that if I ask God for something good, he, he will honor that request. Now, to be very clear, there is an element to observe that she is seeking her good, or rather the good of her boys, over God's will and his glory. And this is not a good thing. We need to be careful in our requests. There are examples all over scripture of men and women who make promises that turn out to be undesirable, even though they have the best intentions. Look at the outcome of this conversation, even. By asking for a place of honor for her sons, they are condemned to a life of persecution and exile for following Christ. This isn't too desirable. I think of families even in our own body who desire good things for their children, such as following in obedience to God's calling. This is absolutely a good thing to ask God for. Look even at the example of the Newmans who have prayed this for their daughter, for their sons, and now in obedience, Ellen is venturing to South Sudan this summer. I'm not quite sure that's the exact outcome that Bill and Tara had in mind when when they were praying for obedience in the life of her daughter. And so even in our bold prayers, we need to have God's will and his glory at the front of our minds. James and John still obeyed God, though they suffered, because it was for God's glory. Bill and Tara are still sending Ellen, even the South Sudan isn't the safest country in the world. Because by teaching English to the South Sudanese people, they might come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the glory of God. Let's go back to Salome's request for another trait here. 
Her request is for an earthly concept extended to a heavenly position. And and see how she goes before Jesus in verse 20. It says here that she said she was kneeling before him. This action is one of humility. The next trait that we will look at. Honor and authority are things that we seek here on earth, but ultimately belong to God, to bestow to us in heaven. Salome's petition for Jesus is to have this honorable position for her sons, seeking better for them than she herself will likely receive. This in and of itself is a humble thing. It's also important to note that in this moment, Salome may not have exactly been being humble. Yes, she is kneeling. Yes, she recognizes that she is less than Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she was being humble. She might have been using her kinship to Jesus, saying, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm your aunt, and, and these are your nephews. Why don't you give them a better spot than, than these other guys who you brought along for the ride here? Nevertheless, she recognizes he is greater, and she humbles herself to ask him to do something that she is unable to do or to give. So even though we might not look at this trait here and, and see this well exemplified here, it is still a crucial trait for godly mothers. Looking now at, at traits that both of these women possess. We see Mary possessing traits. We see Salome possessing traits. Both of them possess, first and foremost, an intentional presence. It's entirely possible that these women traveled with Jesus and the 12 disciples throughout Jesus' life, throughout his ministry. The event that, that we're describing here most presumably took place as they were traveling into Judea leading up to Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. They, they began their trip in Capernaum, which is in Galilee, and, and traveled all the way south to Jerusalem. It was likely that they were there at least for that length of stay, if not longer. And we see them there at the cross in Mark 15, verse 40 and 41. And we see that they were there in Galilee. They followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Jesus spent a great deal of time around these women. Sons, myself included, this is a good reminder. As we get older, our mothers still want to hear from us. They, they still want to spend time with us. My mother reminds me of this regularly when I go more than a week without reaching out to her. If Jesus could interact with these women while still teaching and performing miracles, flipping tables into Jewish synagogues, you're not too busy to call or text your mother on a regular basis. It's a good characteristic to be intentionally present. Matthew 27, 56 is another important verse for our time this morning. You do not need to turn there, but it echoes Mark 15, 40 and 41, which I just read. In this verse, we see that both of these women are at the cross of Jesus. They're with him as he dies. As I just noted, these women traveled with Jesus many, many miles, many weeks, maybe even months or years They had just shared supper with him the night before. They probably even prepared it for him. As they cleaned up the supper that Jesus 
and the disciples ate, it's possible they may have even heard the commotion that took place as the Jewish officials came and arrested Jesus in the garden. They watched him the next morning, bloodied and beaten, carry his cross up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And they watched as he was nailed to the tree and lifted up to die. We've talked a bit already about loss this morning, and now we see that Mary loses her child, her her firstborn son. This is not an easy thing. Even with the other women, some of the disciples nearby to comfort her, there is great mourning that would have taken place. Because this was no ordinary child. This was the son of God, the child of promise. How could this miracle of a baby, this extraordinary man, this wise teacher, how could he be dead when he was prophesied to be the savior of the world? We can all think of a time when things did not go according to plan or something catches us by surprise. I can't imagine the level of unpreparedness any mother would have when told that your child isn't going to make it. This pain would be excruciating. And yet she is there with her son as he struggles to take his last breaths upon this earth, upon this cursed tree. Alongside Salome, they are there on the level ground at the foot of the cross. Because, and this is the last trait that we will note, because they know God. Mary and Salome know God and they know to trust him that he's going to fulfill his promises for his glory, even through the pain that they feel in the moment. In this moment, it doesn't matter that one of these gave, one of these women gave birth to the man on the cross. It doesn't matter what petty arguments may have come over even how the food was then prepared the night before. These things are unimportant. They're irrelevant. Because Mary's son and Salome's nephew is the Savior pouring out his life for them so that they may live freely. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Regardless of how you mother or parent or raise your children, it is vitally important to note that it must begin by looking to Jesus on the cross. If we do not know God, we cannot possess any of these traits, mother or not. None of us are the mother of Jesus, but we know what he went through. We know that his death was not solely physical, but upon that cross, Jesus bore the weight of all the sin of all the world, taking upon himself the complete wrath of God and being the perfect sacrifice for the atonement of sin. We have been justified. We have been made right with God in heaven. Regardless of what you have done, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Regardless of who you are, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Regardless of when you come to Christ, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. My friends, brothers, and sisters, let us praise the Lord that the ground is level at the foot of the cross because if the ground were not level, we would be dependent on our own salvation. We would have no way to eternal life. We would be dependent on our own merits, our own righteousness, righteousness that the Apostle Paul calls filthy rags. We would be responsible for our own salvation. But thanks be to God that he has made a way. He sent his son through the power of the Holy Spirit and a very special mother 
to live a perfect life here on earth, to take upon the sin of the world and to pay for it through his death. This sacrifice is how we become right with God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And simply dying to make us right with God would have been enough, but there isn't any good in death separated from God. If there's no life to live, And so, after three days in the grave, God raised Jesus from the dead. So that as the firstborn from the dead, we too can have the abundance of life in heaven with God. Praise the Lord. If we know this about God, it means going to him at the foot of the cross. It means laying down our burdens there for him to bear, knowing that he has already faithfully bore them and cast them as far as the east is from the west. If we know God, then we have everything that we could possibly need. A few points of application for us this morning. First and foremost, know God. Well, yes, this is a trait. This is something that we all need to do. Wanting good things for our children must begin with a right understanding of who God is. God is not our rabbit's foot. He is not our good luck charm. He is the creator, the sustainer, the Savior and the King. For this, we cannot be so prideful and arrogant to put ourselves in the place of God to determine who will receive blessing and in what degree. We must understand who He is, a good and loving Father, yes, but a good and powerful and just King. Secondly, love God. We cannot raise our children in love if we do not first have the love of God in our lives. As John writes in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest to love us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that through him we might live through. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And the the reminder that comes in verse 14, that we love because he first loved us. We need the love of God in our lives in order to love our children. Thirdly, mothers, a charge to you, love your children. Continue to love and cherish your children as gifts from God, giving him the praise both for the gift of your child as well as for the good things that God has given to and done for you and your children. Continue to grow in these traits, learning to praise God for all things, storing up joy in your heart, going boldly to the throne of grace to humbly seek God on behalf of your children. Fathers and husbands, lead your families. Learn to lead your families well, just as Jesus led by his example and his sacrifice. Uh, Husbands, are you willing to give up your life for your bride as Christ gave up his life for his church? Men, are you willing to sacrifice your time and your energy encouraging and helping members of the church as commanded by God? How about single mothers who would love to have a godly father figure in the life of their children? 
Are you men willing to spend time with these children for the sake of their soul's eternity as an encouragement to these mothers? I know that it is Mother's Day, and many of you dads have already done wonderful things for your wives this morning. But what about the other 364 days of the year that aren't Mother's Day? Again, don't assume that just because this message is titled Characteristics of a Godly Mother, it doesn't matter for you. Learn from it, both how to lead and encourage your life, your wife, as you love and raise your children together in the fear of admonition to the Lord. Lastly, for anyone who is neither a mother nor a husband, as well as for those who are, be intentional about discipleship. I want you to realize, as I've mentioned already, if you know Christ, if you've lived in a Christ-like manner for any stretch of time, you have been a spiritual parent to someone. Whether it's intentionally through discipleship or unintentionally through just being a good role model, you have been a spiritual mother or a spiritual father to someone. Do not take that lightly. Do not take it for granted, but praise God for the blessing that you have been to someone, perhaps even because you do not have children. I know that my wife, Michaela, and I would not be able to minister to college students the way that we do if we did have children of our own. And we praise God for the blessing that our spiritual children have been to us. So be intentional about parenting and discipling those spiritually younger who God has placed in your life. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Will you go humbly before the throne of grace with boldness and praise the God you know for the joy that he has given you through his intentional presence in your life? Will you encourage others to do the same? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us how even through your son, you have perfectly exemplified these traits. Father, we thank you for the godly women that you have placed around Jesus through his life so that by their example, we too may know the characteristics of a godly mother. Lord, I ask that you would continue to be with those who are parenting, that you would continue to allow them to love their children well, that they would go to you in all things, that they would know you deeply and love you more and more each day. Father, for those without children, I pray that they would learn what it means to be a spiritual parent, that they would not only learn this, but they would excel in it, that they may train others to do the same. Father, let us make disciples who make disciples for the glory of you. Father, be with us as we finish our time this evening, as we continue going through your word and and singing praises to you, hearing about the blessing that you have been to Philip and Bea and praying for those who are being sent out. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity that we have together. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.